the kill, and Warner wins the set. Fade away by Moores. In play with Craig Maddock, made possible by the exclusive support of Lake Area Technical College. It is you. Welcome to another edition of In Play. I'm Craig Maddock. Our guest today grew up in Wessington Springs, you know, north and west of Mitchell. But who knew our guest would spend 47 years at the same location, about 130 miles away, in Yankton. Even went to Yankton College. 1963, he's a teacher at Yankton High. And then he never left until he retired in 2010, after 47 years, a teacher, a coach, an administrator, and successful at all three phases. Our guest, Bob Winter of Yankton. Bob, welcome to InPlay. You know, you're, you're from Wesson Springs. What did you want to be when you grew up? Well, this is an interesting deal, how I end up where I'm at. When I grew up, my dad owned a gas station. And for reasons I've never quite figured out, he got really involved with amateur baseball. And if you look in the 1950s, amateur baseball was Huron Stalls, Aberdeen Preds, Redfield, Western Springs, etc. And somehow, magically, one of the best pitchers in the state always worked for my dad at the gas station. <laughs> <laughs> and at the same time, a guy named Bernie Buheim was a pitcher from Humboldt and a guy named Raleigh Greeno became the coach at Western Springs. Oh, yeah. But Raleigh Greeno was a heck of a baseball player. Nobody kind of knew about that. He was a good but coach. So, we knew that. Well, he he ended up being one of the all-time great coaches. And he was a friend of my family a little bit through my dad and myself. And he he probably, along with Gene Nelson, who was the Yankee College guy, Bob Brooks that you've probably heard of, who ended up being a Mitchell coach and administrator, they were all coaches in Western Springs. Mm. Western Springs had hit a streak now, I see in hindsight, where they just had some outstanding coaches. Well, that got me interested in being in athletics. So I was in athletics all my life. Really never thought about too much. Uh, one time when I thought about quitting college, my mother said, what are you going to do, pump gas all your life like your dad? <laughs> uh, well, that kind of took care of that. <laughs> so I was going to go to Northern, believe it or not, through Raleigh Greeno. Ooh. Ooh. And Coach Clark Swisher, that's a real name, uh-huh. he came down to my dad's gas station. He said, I'm happy you're coming to Northern, but, <laughs> Bob, I hate to tell you, I don't think you're good enough to play. Mm. Well, that kind of deflated me in a hurry, because I also had some cards from Yankton College that said, come to us, and you can play right away. Well, <clears throat> Doug Common had coached at Canastota when they won the Class B tournament, and a fellow named Bird Sandvig, who had been at Augustana, uh, I went down and visited them. Bob Brooks and Gene Nelson both had gone to Yankton College, mm. and they encouraged me to go there, and so I did. And that's how I ended up at Yankton College, a little bit by default. You know, I don't know anything about your high school athletic career. Were you one of those uh, four-sport star athletes uh, for Wesleyan Springs? I, no, I, I was in every sport that was available every season. You did football, basketball, track, and baseball. That's one of the things that today a little bit bothers me. I see this specialization, and I think kids are missing out on a lot. Mm. 
Uh, it's, it's kind of the way things are going. Uh, it's a lot of philosophy involved. But I think I gained from every sport something good uh, that related to life, whether it was competition, fairness to play, et cetera. Did you always, though, want to, wanted to be a teacher as well? Was that, I mean, when, when did that come around? <clears throat> Pretty much what happened, you go to college, you get a major. Well, my major was good question. <laughs> so after I was there a while, I'd been in athletics all my life. I got into physical education major, but I got into biology. And I've always liked biology. And part of that came from my family background of hunting and fishing. So I got into biology. I became a biology lab assistant. And the first thing you know, I'm taking education classes, biology major, physical education major. Well, I had two choices. I could go into wildlife biology or I could go into education. Well, at that time, my girlfriend, who became my wife, lived in Yankton, had one year left at Yankton College. Uh, that was kind of a no-brainer then, so I went into education <laughs> because Raleigh Greeno's brother, Rich Greeno, was now the athletic director at Yankton High School. Mm. And obviously I knew all the Greenos, mm -hmm. and I had worked with the Yankton High School at the time in various capacities. My student taught for a guy named Don Baker, and I ended up taking his place as the head basketball coach at Yankton High School. Oh, yeah. But they hired me. Uh, as a science teacher, as my biology background, and uh, as a coach of all sports. What was it about Yankton College? I mean, the Yankton College Greyhounds. Uh, what was it about that that college? Because we all know it closed back in the, the mid-'80s. Uh, you know, your feelings when you saw it close down eventually become a federal prison. What, what, what was that feeling like back in the mid-'80s? Well, <clears throat> first of all, Carl Youngworth was one of the great names that South Dakota sports history. And Yankton College had a great sports tradition along with, believe it or not, a music tradition. They had a lot of music majors. It was doing very well. Then I ended up being on the board of trustees, believe it or not, about the time they were going to close. They had had some trouble forever recruiting, and then money became an issue. They started heavily recruiting back east, at the same time, Westmar, Huron College, Dakota Wesleyan, everybody was kind of in the same boat. Well, Yankton College went through a stretch where the vast majority of their students were athletes recruited by the athletic department. Mm -hmm. Well, what's kind of come to uh, maybe to the forefront now, colleges are all fighting this. You have to have a student body. You can't just have those people recruited by the athletic coaches. At the time that I was on the trustees and when Yankton College closed, over 72% of the student body were athletic people. Well, that means where are your history majors, your science majors, your music majors? And so that caused a lot of financial problems. And I was one of three people that voted to stay at open, keep it open. It was uh, one of the most upsetting times, obviously, of my life. Sure. Do you have any uh, Greyhounds uh, sweatshirts or anything still? Uh, I have own? a little bit of everything. <laughs> it's interesting. I was part of the decision-making process. Well, what are we going to do with Yankton College? Yankton College was connected with the United Church of Christ. Doan College in Nebraska is that way. Grinnell College in Iowa is the same thing. Uh, these colleges wanted to get all the Yankton College records and 
just simply move Yankee College and call be in Doan or be in Grinnell. Mm-hmm. Well, I very much opposed that. I did a lot of Yankee people. We had a meeting and decided we are going to keep Yankee College in town. And so we developed a process whereby there was a place that we could hold all the records and the memorabilia because the number of athletic trophies is just phenomenal, primarily track. Uh, there was a time when Yankee College was one of the premier track colleges in the, in the United States. Today, that has evolved to out at the Human Services Center, there's a Mead building that is a, one of the gigantic, beautiful buildings in South Dakota. It's been remodeled, and one of the floors is Yankton College alumni, we'll call it, and historical uh, area. We still keep that under control of Yankton College. They have meetings continually. They have a board of trustees. The records are there. The memorabilia is there. It's really a pretty neat deal. And it's going to be part of the big museum now in Yankton on the fourth floor. 1963, it's your first year teaching. And over the next 25 years, you coach football, cross country, track and field, baseball, the swim team, and basketball. Sounds like yep. there, if there was a sport which needed a coach, that you were there, Bob. But come on, the swim team, did you have to show them how to do the crawl and the backstroke too? I mean, what was that experience like? <laughs> <laughs> Bill Bob Zine was a football coach over at Yankton College, and there was a swim team opening, and he took it in the summer. And he said, Bob, I need an assistant with the swim team in the summer. I go, well, you're kidding me. I don't know anything about the swim team. He says, just like track. You run repeats. You have somebody demonstrate the strokes. So that's what we did. <laughs> and we had a lot of kids. I'd say we had 50, 60 kids on the summer swim team. And it was fun because those kids were really dedicated. They would swim in the morning at 6 o'clock. They would swim in the afternoon. They'd swim at night. As I watch the Olympic swimmers, I have a lot of respect for them. So it's 1965. You start coaching boys basketball. You do it nine years. You win one state title. You know, you look at, at that run to that state title in, in 74. You're runner-up the two years prior in 72 and 73. You lost to Miller and to Huron, but then won it all in 74. What were those three years like as the boys basketball coach? Well, it's interesting. We had uh, nice teams uh, that were a little bit uh, left over from the era of Don Baker. And 66, we got defeated by a great Canton team, John Eisenhower. We didn't go to the state. In 67, we went to the state and just got nipped by the Millbank team in the semis. We got third then in the 67. 68, 69 were rebuilding years. Well, in 70, we had a nice big team. And we had defeated Lincoln during the year and came to the finals of the state tournament. We got defeated. One of the most upsetting things ever was I ever thought if I had a chance to be in the state tournament in a finals, you would win. Well, we didn't win. Well, that didn't sit very good with me. Well, then in 70, we had a very nice team. Chad Nelson was our 6'10 freshman center. Nice. And we got upset in the regional. Over the years, one of the things that I – don't know if I like or don't like is how this state has always set up sections and regions. And we were in a region with, believe it or not, Mitchell, Winter, and Todd County. 
Mitchell had a nice team. They upset us at the Corn Palace in 71, and they went on to win the state tournament. Well, then in 72, we had a great team. Vermilion High School had a great team. And one of my favorite memories is playing in the what they call the Armory that you're aware of. That's now the media center at the University of South Dakota. Mm-hmm. I we remember played it. Vermilion, Yep, we played Vermilion High School there and won in a nail-biter, an absolute packed house. They wouldn't let anybody in the gym. Vermilion had played Miller a real close game. They end up having an Iverson and a Lauterman and guys that played in college. They were good, and we had a nice team. Well, then we ran into Miller. I would have to say of all the teams I've ever coached against, Miller was maybe the hardest one ever to guard. They were tremendous for their – they were kind of ahead of their time. They could shoot long shots, drive. They ran what now you almost might be called the passing game. And uh, they just were better than us. There was no question about it. Uh, Chad Nelson and Mark Hogan were two of our main players, and they were sophomores at the time. Uh, I remember Dave Strain, who became my friend at Rapid City Central, he told me, you don't know what it's like, though, how well you've done having two sophomores. But I didn't realize at the time, <laughs> and now in hindsight, I see senior teams win. You can watch all sports. Most of the time, senior teams win. Mm-hmm. Well, Miller was a senior team. And in hindsight, uh, in 1970, Lincoln High School was a senior team. Uh, we were primarily a senior team. So... Probably in when we lost in in seventy two, uh, maybe the, I think the best team won. And now we come to seventy three. That's a bad memory. Oh, oh yeah, here on the finals. We had beaten here twice during the year. Huron had a nice team. We had a six ten center. They had a six tenner named Shanks. He ended up playing at Northern. They they were a very really good team. Well, we got down toward the end. And we were ahead, and they went ahead. And with the 10 seconds left, they scored a basket. Bob Judson was their coach. He was my longtime friend, too. He had been uh, – he ended up being a peer. Uh, Judson and I talked about this forever. I thought their basket they scored to go ahead one. I thought the guy had traveled. Well, the referees were longtime refs. Pat Morrison and the guys. Oh, yes. Uh, they were terrific. I mean, they were my friends. Yep. So they called it as they saw it. Uh, we had the ball with 10 seconds, went down uh, to try to score. Probably a coaching error. I hadn't, during the year, that many times talked about going full court with 10 seconds. Probably because during the year we'd won too many games. I don't know. <laughs> but we got down, threw the ball away, and here it won. Uh, one of the biggest disappointments of my career. Later on, Bob Judson and I talked about it. I laughed, and he sent me a, a modified pennant that says, almost state tournament champion. <laughs> <laughs> and that was okay with you. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, you remember things. Don Baker, when I started coaching, said, every time I go by Beersford, I think about it. Because mm. Beersford in the 50s had a fellow named Joe Thorne, and they upset Yankton to go to the state tournament when the tournaments were lined up in sections. And he said, every time you go by the Beersford Corner, I remember that. Well, when Canton beat us in 66, to this day, I go by the Canton Corner, and I remember that. <laughs> oh, no. Well, every you... time I hear <laughs> I hear about state tournaments in Huron, 
<laughs> I remember that too. But it's 1974. You got the title. You beat Rapid City Central. You won by like yep. 19 that that game. Well, pretty interesting is during the year we had a, a terrific team. Uh, most of the team ended up playing in college. Uh, Chad Nelson had become one of the great players of South Dakota, heavily recruited, uh, especially by the University of Minnesota. Uh, that's kind of a story by itself, too. At any rate, First game of the year, we played Lincoln, and we got upset. And uh, I tell you what, it was I, – I don't know to this day what happened, but might have been the best thing ever. It took the pressure off us. Hmm. From then on, nobody really came close to us. We had a terrific season. I watch these teams now with three-point shots being pretty happy when they score 70. <laughs> we used to score 70 pretty regularly. We didn't have the three-point shot. Well, then we get to the state tournament, and – State tournaments are tough. We had a couple first tough games. Got into the finals against Rapid City Central. Dave Strain being the coach, he knew it was going to be a tough deal. But we we played tremendous. We had a great game. We won. Everybody was happy. Uh, Everybody's telling me, what are you going to do to celebrate? I don't know what all I said. I must have said something wrong because my relatives didn't necessarily like what I said. (laughs) (laughs) I think I said we're going to go out and celebrate. (laughs) You know, you got to do that, don't you? You Anyway, so 74 ended up terrific, terrific year. And I was going to decide what I was going to do. Well, you you left the boys' program after that title year, and you began to coach the girls. What led you to that decision? Well, (laughs) I I had turned down a – couple of college jobs and I wasn't sure I wanted to keep coaching sometimes when you uh, you have teams like when I had the great teams uh, you kind of wonder are you going to continue uh, do you want to keep handling all the stuff that you deal with I, I just hadn't decided what I was going to do for sure uh, I had some guys that had made me some offers and then the high school and started basketball in 1974 the activity association and we had a team of girls that that played some. And the coach was Sandy Gross, who had been a, a really great athlete for her time at Yankton College. And she was the physical education teacher. So she coached them the first year. I think they played like eight or nine games. There was no state tournament. And the next year, they were going to have a full schedule, et cetera. And she became pregnant. And I was teaching biology. I decided I would still teach for a year and see what's going to happen. And Jack Richardson talked me into taking them in 75. So I said, okay, I'll take them for one year and see what's going to happen. <laughs> well, that one year we won the state tournament in 75. And 76. one thing led to another, I, at the same time for the last five or seven years, I had run basketball camps at Yankton College. And I just decided, well, I'll stay another year or two. And the first thing you know, uh, down the road about 20-some years. <laughs> 319 wins, only 53 losses, eight state titles, three runner-ups, National Coach of the Year in 1987. But when you look at 1975 and that first year of sanctioned girls basketball in South Dakota, you know Yankton wins the title four times in the first five years. What were those teams like? Were they ahead of uh, their time at that point in time of other teams? Well, I think some things that were a little bit different. Uh, first of all, a lot of those players on those teams had actually had some family members 
of brothers, for example, the Barnes girls, who had brothers who had played basketball. So it wasn't that those girls had never played. And then uh, most of the schools were, I, I, I wouldn't use it turmoil or disarray. A lot of schools didn't quite get started the same as we did. And so it took a lot of schools a, a, a period of time, I would say, to get caught up. And one of the things that right off the bat we got going, and a little bit of was basketball camps, we got kids playing in the summer. And those kids played a lot of hours. And then we had a girl named Donna Ray, for example, move in from Iowa who had played. And so she knew the game. Well, you get a couple of players that are players. We had a girl named uh, Beth Barnes who ended up being a great player at Northern. Lori Burkhardt did the same thing. So it wasn't that we didn't have players. And so I look back sometimes. I remember in the state championship game, I think we made 10 out of 10 free throws with the large ball. And so I hear about, well, you know, we have a little trouble shooting or whatever. Well, wait a minute. Part of that might have been the time, coaching, how much time kids put into it. Uh, the small ball when it came in really made a difference, I think. Uh, Jim Howard, who had been at Brookings High School, was a Kansas guy. He had played against, believe it or not, Will Chamberlain. And he had a lot of good ideas. And we went with to Ruth Rain at the Activity Association, and we were the first state to go to the small ball for girls. And that really, I think, made a lot of difference in the ability to ball handle, uh, easier to, to shoot, et cetera. Yep. So, you know, the 70s era of girls play kind of changed after that. But I got to tell you an interesting thing that uh, people don't know. Dr. Merritt All had been very heavily involved with the Activity Association. He was a, a doctor in Yankton. And he had a boy that played when we lost in 70, uh, Kevin Ald, who became the orthopedic surgeon for the Seattle Seahawks. Dr. Maridal told me, you know, we had girls athletics back in the 20s and 30s and 40s, and it kind of quit. We had girls basketball. Well, I got thinking, when I was a kid in Western Springs, I saw girls play at Artesian. And I think Lane, South Dakota. Well, then Ginger Larson coached with me for a long time when we won the state tournaments. And she got her master's degree and did a thesis on women and girls basketball early in South Dakota. And she found out there were a lot of schools that had girls basketball back in, started the 20s, 30s, 40s. There's a team called the American Redheads that you may have heard of that toured the United States. Hmm. So it wasn't a fact that there had not been any girls basketball. It was a fact to get it started again. And Title IX was the best thing that ever happened to sports, in my opinion. I had three daughters, so obviously I was very involved with uh, trying to keep Title IX going. We had a school system, Maury Hogan superintendent. Uh, Jack Richardson uh, was the athletic director who was very supportive of girls' athletics. And that became an important feature. How did your school accept? girls athletics jim minor was our track coach i was one of the assistants we just decided we'll put our boys and girls track team together a lot of schools had separate boys and girls track teams <laughs> well i think it was the best thing we ever did i had some great boy hurdlers but i had better girl hurdlers i mean so everybody saw things a little different a lot of philosophy became involved about that time 
You know, Bob, you mentioned some of those girls you had on those teams in the 70s. Uh, there is still one record for basketball that's still there. It's Diane Heemstra, still the record for the most points in a championship game. She had 34 in that 1979 championship win against Rapid City Stevens. What was uh, well, Diane Heemstra like? Well, let me tell you about two girls that we had, Diane Heemstra and Lisa Van Gogh. Diane Heemstra's father was a minister. They moved to Yankton. And he called me and said, I have a, a young girl who's a freshman, and she would like to play basketball, and she played a little bit in Iowa. Uh, I said, well, I'll meet you over in the gym. <laughs> it took about 10 seconds to figure out she's better than good. She was <laughs> tremendous even as a freshman. Her background in Iowa had really got her started. The one thing you got to remember is Iowa played six-on-six, six, or I call it six-on-six, three-on-three, six, mm-hmm. three, whatever you want to call it. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, and, they, and so she had a little background, but she could shoot a basketball. She had great rhythm. She ended up having two sisters that followed her, both ended up being All-State, played in college. Diane Heemstra would put in what I call the hours you need for success in any sport. She shot baskets, shot baskets, shot baskets. Ultimately, she became obviously one of the best players ever in South Dakota. She went to the University of Oregon, who at that time was a premier NCAA girls basketball power. She she had uh, trouble wondering what her major was going to be. A gentleman named Stock Swalseth was the basketball coach at Colorado University. He was the men's coach. He, he quit the men's and took the women's job at Colorado University. His dad was Buzz Walseth, who was forever the South Dakota High School Activities Association director. <laughs> so we had kind of a connection there. Uh-huh. So Diane, we talked to the Sox. He was a great guy. He had played for Pierre High School. Uh, he's a well-known name. So she went out there and played for them. Before she went there, she was, a, uh, I think, a junior, senior, freshman in college. She traveled with the Junior Olympics basketball team. And then she had a tryout with the Olympic team, and she missed the Olympic team by one cut. It came down to the last day, and she she was like number 20 from number 19 or some version of that. So she was a fabulous player, but more than that, she was a fabulous person. Brilliant, great all-around girl. She ended up being a chief engineer in uh, California. Uh, she's just terrific and terrific family. But with her, she also helped then develop Lisa Van Gore. Lisa Van Gore was a 6'2", 3 girl who was an 8th grader had never played basketball. She came out as a ninth grader, and she started playing basketball with Diane Heemstra and played and played and played. She ended up being one of the all-time great players at the University of Colorado mm-hmm. and played overseas for a number of years professionally. Oh, that's right. But those two girls kind of got things started for us in Yankton uh, that continued, I think, literally forever because they could see what putting in time meant. It wasn't you put in five hours in the summer. You put in hours every day. One I- time when I was running basketball camps, I met a lark lemon have to be in town with the Globetrotters. So I said, Metal Lark, would you come and talk to the camp kids? He walked in swinging what I thought was a purse. He said, I don't see any players here in the stands. 
And I kind of thought, well, wow, metal arts, that's not very good. Says, because I don't see any kids that would play 10 hours a day. And if you go to the city of New York and Chicago, those kids that don't have anything else to do, they play 10 hours a day. That's why the best players are coming from the big cities. Well, our players remember that. Bob Winter remembered that. From that day on, I always made out a sheet. Uh, how many hours a day are you going to play? So I think a lot of the success was just back to Hampshire and Van Gore playing so many hours. Here in Metal Arc Lemon, say so you better play hours if you're going to be the best. And that just kind of continued on. That's one of my concerns now is we have club sports. The club sport teams appear to me to just like to play. Putting in hours to them is playing games. I don't know how many hours they put in just playing shooting. Hmm. So it's been quite a, uh, as I see it, an evolution of basketball. Nobody was doing basketball camps back in the 60s, but you started it, Bob. Uh, why were yours so successful? Because they ran for three decades. Well, I would say a couple things happened. One, Jim Holward, again, had been at Yankton College, and he, he had been some experience in, in uh, Kansas with camps, and he said, you got to get kids playing. So we had some what we call them day camps, come in for a couple hours a, a day, and it was pretty successful. Then John Ines had been at South Dakota State when they had some basketball camps. John Ines came to Yankton College as the basketball coach, and he said, let's start basketball camps where we literally put kids here all week long. I thought he was kind of crazy, but we, <laughs> we tried it, and it was one of the things that why we got things going, we're about the only ones doing it. South Dakota State did a little bit. A couple of private ones here in the state were doing it. University did a little bit. But we started having a lot of success with that. Well, then when John Eisenhower left, uh, one thing led to another. And first thing you know, I was running a lot of camps with a lot of coaches. And Jim Thorson was at Yankton College. I think the secret to the success of the camps that I ran was the fact that I hired up 15 to 20 area high school coaches a year. So those coaches knew a lot of kids. And those, I think kids knew if they came to camp, we, we based it on fundamentals. We did not base it on games. So we had fundamental stations all morning. We had kind of, well, I call them team stations, fundamentals in the afternoon. Then we play one game in the afternoon and one game at night. And the fact that they played all day were back to Metal Arc Lemon, you better put in a lot of hours to be mm. good. And then I tried to always find a motivational speaker to talk to the kids about how to, uh, you know, just things about be good people, have a, have, have a good experience. Which one stands out? Yeah. Marty Gross had played for me uh, and the team that won and lost in 73. He ended up being a, a coach at Jacksonville, uh, Wichita State, he had played, actually played at Jacksonville. He was in town one summer, and he came to town, and I asked him if he'd talk to the camp kids. He came to town. I can remember to this day what he did. He looked at him and said, don't let your heads get too big. Treat people, everybody the same. Well, that's kind of the message we tried to get out. I had a couple prisoners come over from Springfield Prison. They came in in their leggings and <laughs> handcuffs, and they talked about, don't do drugs and lead a good life. And uh, you could have heard a pin drop when those guys walked in with their irons. <laughs> it was great. But I think we did some things that made kids intrigued with basketball, but also found out 
hey, there's more to life than basketball. You, you got to be right, do the right thing. And we had a lot, so many coaches that all helped. It, it's just pretty interesting. A lot of the coaches end up highly successful themselves. Uh, I started having some little clinics, I call them, at the same time for college credit. And we would have people like Dave Strain, for example, put on a three-day clinic. I mean, imagine what he did. So things just really went well. I always said I probably played and coached and did everything in the best of times. You won 86% of your girls' basketball games, and like you mentioned, there is life after basketball. You stepped down in 1991, but you became the athletic, uh, the activities director in 1989. What was the reason for stepping down as the girls' coach? Was it your increased time as the activities director? Yeah, no question. I I got talked again into by Moore Hoagland in becoming the activities director when Jack Richardson retired. Well, I really had never had any desire to do that. Uh, Maury Hoagland's a great guy. He had played basketball at the University of South Dakota when they won the national tournament. So he, he knew what was going on. I mean, he's a sharp guy. And so he he talked me into it. I had to go back and get another degree, for Christ's sake, to the University of South Dakota. I really needed more hours, didn't I? <laughs> Just uh, a few. But anyway, so I decided to do that. Well, I coached, I think it was two years or maybe it was three and coached basketball at the same time, did activity director. But just little things, for example, if I had a game out of town and there was going to be a great game in town, I had to have somebody take my place. And it just reached a point where I couldn't do it all. It, it was just a time-consuming thing, and I didn't think it was fair to everybody. And so that's why I, I decided I better just do the activity director. What were some of the biggest challenges as activities director at Yankton? Well, first of all, everything was in pretty good shape because Jack Richardson had hired people and Maury Hoagland, and so we had coaches in every position. One of the things definitely at that time was how are you going to have equal numbers with Title IX? Uh, that was coming about because the football situation, you got 100 football players and you only got 20 girls in the fall playing basketball. I mean, so one of the things was to equalize numbers. And so, you know, over the years, we have added uh, gymnastics, tennis, golf, dance, cheer. Now they're going to add softball. It's kind of a never-ending story. I think the University of South Dakota is still going on with that because they have a different number of scholarships for men's track versus women's track. Hmm. Uh, Dan Fitzsimmons, the coach there, was a coach at Yankton High School. That's right, yes. Uh, But one of the things that I tried to do, I I always felt that coaches – need to be encouraged and have a camaraderie. So I tried to have get-togethers once in a while and somehow get a uh, uniforms that look the same for coaching. And always the finances was kind of a challenge. One of the best things we ever did was go from the yellow buses to more of a jackrabbit-type bus. Uh, safety issue, travel easy. The coach bus, yeah. yeah. And then one of the yeah. challenges started becoming, and I think today – there's a lot of philosophy involved with it, which I don't always agree with, is scheduling. You're scheduled double-A opponents, but then you schedule some A opponents. Yankton and Vermillion, for example, has a history forever of playing each other. Mm-hmm. Well, for a while, we didn't play each other because of that. Well, today, you know, they've gone from uh, schedules to in basketball, for example. They play every double-A team, seed it, and that's how you end up in a way to get to the state tournament. 
that's a lot different than when we used to have districts and sections and regions. Uh, all of that is scheduling. And then during the time I was with uh, as activities director, you got to remember the Sioux Falls Rapid City Schools went together. And so you tried to schedule Rapid City Schools, Sioux Falls Schools, the ESD conference, which I'm very proud of. It, scheduling was quite an issue because we just schedule Rapid City on a Tuesday night? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. <laughs> and so scheduling scheduling was always a, an issue. We had a lot of meetings on scheduling. Bob Lowry was with the Activity Association, got to where he helped with football. Uh, my feeling, I think, today is that he's totally scheduling football while his successor is. So, you know, you have financial issues, scheduling issues, and that's never going to go away. One of the things that I see has really evolved, though, is the size of schools. When I was at Western Springs growing up, we were big enough to play Huron in football. Now, Huron, uh, Western Springs goes with about three schools to mm-hmm. be able to have football. Mm-hmm. Uh, in our ESD conference, Huron has dropped down in enrollment. Yankton, who we used to always play with the Sioux Falls schools, we're not always scheduled with Sioux Falls schools. Uh, the situation with Sioux Falls School is getting so big, and that that whole area around Sioux Falls has almost created another league or division. And I think you're going to see over the years that's that's going to have a huge effect on what's happening. Bob, I got a couple more for you here on In Play. You had a bunch of uh, great, who I think great activities directors to work with: uh, Harvey Hamrick up in Watertown, Gene Brownell. In Aberdeen, you got Randy Marceau at Brandon Valley, Mark Miley, Sioux Falls, Terry Rodert uh, in Huron. You know, I'm missing a few of there, but you know what a great group uh, to work with. I'm sure you guys got along most of the time, didn't you? <laughs> well, we got along all the time because one of the things about the ESD, if you look at the his, history of the ESD, it goes back as far as any conference in South Dakota and literally the nation. And one of the reasons has been uh, – making sure you treat each other fairly. When I first started in Yankton, Sioux Falls, Washington was in the ESD. We beat Sioux Falls, Washington when in, uh, I think, what year, 67, to tie them for the conference championship. But then eventually Sioux Falls got too big, so we needed to bring somebody in. Well, then in came, for example, Pierre. Then came, later on, Brandon Valley. Well, as you bring in new people, you need to get along. If you can't get along, you're going to have some issues. But part of it is, I think, you'll take Harvey Hamrick. His background in athletics was fantastic. He was a great player himself. He had gone to South Dakota State. Uh, he had refereed. He understood what sports is all about. And so I think most of the larger schools hired activities directors that really had a good background for what they're going to do. And they knew that there's more to winning a conference tra- championship. There's more how your kids going to get along. You treat each other with respect. And so if, if you watch some of that, uh, I have a real tough time sometimes. I watch some of these college games where they, like, hate each other. Yeah, that's a bad part of sports that's evolved. Mm. High school kids are do- doing pretty darn good. I think a lot of that has gone back to the, as you mentioned, a large group of activity directors that had a really good handle on athletics and what it's all about. 
Last one for you, Bob. You are in the uh, South Dakota Coaches Hall of Fame, in the South Dakota Sports Hall of Fame. What does that mean to you, to be in the Hall of Fame? Well, that means I'm pretty lucky. That's what I'd say. <laughs> First of all, I've, I've been very fortunate in the coaches that I've had and then the, the school administrators I've had, the athletes I've had. Uh, people don't get in Hall of Fame by yourself. I always look at Hall of Fames as, what have you accomplished? But what have you accomplished through people? You know, I've got, I've been really lucky to know people like yourself, Jim Burke, some of the great news media people in South Dakota. Well, to me, that's hall of fame, knowing people and understanding that people helped you. You didn't get there by yourself. Sometimes I see the hall of fame selections and I hear the speeches. I'm like, Oh, wait a minute, guy, you better back off a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, last one. This is the last one. Um, I'm, I'm very impressed with the facilities that Yankton has, has put together with their high schools, with the Summit Center and Crane Youngworth Field, the new track down there. I, I think uh, you should be proud in Yankton for what you guys have done down there for athletics and for the community um, to, to be able to participate and watch athletics in Yankton. Well, see, I think that's a history, too. The history of Yankee College was Crane Field and Ash Gym. And at one time, area teams came in and played in both of them. Well, then Yankton High School was in a small facility, then went to the what is now known as the middle school. Our gym in the, uh, up to the 70s was too little. Well, then it came time we had to build facilities. That's all there was to it. And so uh, Dr. Joe Gershman was the superintendent. And we had some school board members who just felt we needed a facility. Uh, every town won't always support all athletic facilities. You probably know that. And so we had had a tough time with boats trying to get a facility in Yankton. Well, we came up with the idea. I didn't come up with it. These people did. Let's go with the city and build a city school complex. And what evolved then was the Summit Center. I got in the middle of raising money for the track. We built a new track. Uh, over the last couple of years, they've uh, upgraded big time Crane Youngworth Field. We put in tennis courts, and it's just a, it takes a lot of people raising some money, doing some footwork, uh, and getting things done. I remember I was a kind of a bad guy at the time. <laughs> I wanted a parquet floor, a parquet floor in the main gym. Nobody even knew of a parquet floor. I said, "Well, look at Boston Garden." And I said, we can have three or four or five baskets on every court. Oh, boy, I don't know about that. You know, you got to raise money for that. <laughs> well, yeah, I just got a hold of some of the old basketball players. We had money raised. In our so, you know, we've had money raised, and community has put in money, and the school board has been very good with it. Uh, a fellow named John Sternquist and Mike Stevens is a lawyer in town. Guys like that, uh, you know, if you don't have that, you aren't going to have facilities. Facilities don't happen overnight. And so it's been a, if anybody asks me what I'm proud of all the years at Yankton, I think the Summit Center and the facilities is one of the things I like best. In Play with Craig Mavic, made possible by the exclusive support of Lake Area Technical College. It is you. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us gain new listeners. This has been In Play with me, Craig Maddock.
This is a production of South Dakota Public Broadcasting.